Welcome to Advancing the Agenda. I'm Michael Abramson. The topic today is the impeachment inquiry in the U.S. House of Representatives concerning a possible impeachment of President Joe Biden. After that, I'll be providing a few brief remarks on the second presidential debate. And last, I'll be introducing a new segment to the podcast, which I'm very excited about. Before that, I want to welcome all of the new listeners to the podcast. Over the past month or two, the podcast has seen significant growth, and I'm so happy that you're here with us. To understand the impeachment inquiry, one must first understand impeachment. The impeachment process is laid out in the U.S. Constitution. In Article 2, Section 4, the Constitution states, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Article 1, Section 2 states that the House of Representatives has the sole power for impeachment, and Article 1, Section 3 states that the Senate has the sole power to try all impeachments. Impeachment is the official bringing of charges, and it is done via a vote of the House of Representatives. A trial is then brought in the Senate. After the trial, the senators vote on whether to convict. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution states that two-thirds of the senators are required for a conviction. To summarize, the House brings charges. If they vote in favor of those charges, the person is impeached. A trial then occurs in the Senate, and the Senate determines whether to convict the individual. Two-thirds of the Senate is required for conviction. As my high school U.S. history teacher, Dr. Michael Woodward, once stated, the House impeaches, but the Senate convicts. One would think that the House of Representatives has a set of formal rules on the impeachment process. However, rules on the impeachment process do not exist. Consequently, rules on impeachment inquiries do not exist. Ninety-four impeachment inquiries have occurred in the past. The House is left to govern impeachment and impeachment inquiries via precedent. In this case, a precedent is a prior action that the House of Representatives took in a similar situation that serves as a guide for the current situation. Relying on precedent can be complicated because inevitably, representatives will rely on different precedents to justify their actions. When the new Congress is elected in the 2024 election, they should implement formal rules concerning the impeachment process. In the past, when Congress is dealing with an impeachment, this matter is typically preceded with an impeachment hearing. A committee of the House, usually the House Judiciary Committee, will conduct this hearing. At this hearing, one has evidence, witness testimony, depositions, and subpoenas. After reviewing all of the evidence, the committee then votes on impeachment. If the committee is in favor of impeachment, a vote of impeachment then goes to the entire House of Representatives. The impeachment inquiry is not an impeachment hearing. Rather, an impeachment inquiry occurs prior to an impeachment hearing. The impeachment inquiry is a mechanism for the House of Representatives to obtain information to determine whether an impeachment or an impeachment hearing is necessary. It is also a way for Congress to inform the American people about the allegations and their veracity. Former Speaker McCarthy stated that the impeachment inquiry was necessary 
due to President Biden's corruption, abuse of power, and culture of corruption. He referenced the following, the Biden family receiving over $20 million and passing this money through various shell corporations, more than 150 bank transactions for which the United States Department of Treasury cited with suspicious activity reports, which serve as flags for potential indications of wrongdoing, eyewitness testimony that Joe Biden was on over 20 phone calls with Hunter Biden's business associates, and that Joe Biden also attended dinners with these business associates, Hunter Biden receiving millions of dollars and a Porsche after Joe Biden met with Hunter Biden's business associates, an FBI informant making allegations of bribery regarding the Biden family, Biden using his official office to coordinate between Hunter Biden and Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company for which Hunter Biden sat on its board and got paid for his service, President Biden lying to the American people regarding knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings, then Vice President Biden using a pseudonym that is both a fake name and a fake email address through which he conducted email communication. The National Archives has thousands of these messages and allegations that the Biden family has received special treatment from the Department of Justice, such as a proposed sweetheart plea deal for Hunter Biden and testimony from two former IRS agents regarding the treatment of statutes of limitations concerning some of Hunter Biden's alleged crimes. A statute of limitations is an amount of time regarding an alleged crime for which a person or entity can be charged with a crime. These agents alleged that various statutes of limitations regarding some of Hunter Biden's alleged crimes were allowed to toll, meaning that the amount of time set forth by the statutes of limitations expired thereby meaning that Hunter Biden could no longer be charged. Since Hunter Biden could not be charged for these matters, he could avoid convictions for them. The impeachment inquiry functions in a manner similar to other committees in Congress. Republicans and Democrats both have seats on the impeachment inquiry, but the Republicans have the majority of the seats because they have the majority of the seats in Congress. Committee hearings will take place. In fact, one has already occurred. The Impeachment Inquiry Committee is also allowed to issue subpoenas. A subpoena is a formal document demanding a witness appear and testify before the committee. If a person does not follow a subpoena, that person can be held in contempt of Congress. One of the main reasons for the impeachment inquiry is this ability to issue subpoenas and facilitate the subpoena process regarding Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and the Biden family. A subpoena from the U.S. House of Representatives must be tied to a legislative purpose. Before this impeachment inquiry, subpoenas were sent via committees such as the Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee to individuals and organizations related to the inquiry into the Biden family. For example, subpoenas went to former business partners of the Bidens, as well as to banks which had records of transfers of money to the Biden family. In some instances, however, the House has had difficulty in getting these subpoenas answered. And presumably, one of the reasons that they have not gotten answers is that those receiving the subpoenas have stated that there's been no legislative purpose to them. And accordingly, based on their arguments, 
that they would then not have to answer the subpoenas because the subpoenas were invalid. With the impeachment inquiry in place, Congress can now argue that the subpoenas now have a greater legislative purpose because the legislative purpose is the impeachment inquiry. With this greater legislative purpose, Congress will maintain that their subpoenas should be enforced. Some have argued against the legitimacy of this impeachment inquiry because the House of Representatives did not vote on the establishment of the inquiry. Rather, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy established the impeachment inquiry by his own individual order. The reason why a vote was not needed was because of the precedent set by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi during the impeachments of President Donald Trump. For the first impeachment, former Speaker Pelosi established an impeachment inquiry on September 24, 2019, and the House did not vote on it until five weeks later, that is October 31, 2019. In the second impeachment, there was no impeachment inquiry. In fact, there were not even any hearings. This second impeachment eliminated any impeachment inquiry, impeachment hearing, or vote on those two matters. Former Speaker McCarthy likely relied on this precedent of not having an impeachment inquiry, much less a vote on an impeachment inquiry, in his decision to launch the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden without a formal vote. It is possible that those who are subpoenaed may object to the subpoena because the impeachment inquiry was not authorized by a vote of the House. They may refer to the first impeachment of Donald Trump and the arguments put forward by the White House Counsel and the Department of Justice. October 2019, President Trump's White House Counsel argued that subpoenas from an impeachment inquiry, which had not been approved by a vote of the House of Representatives, are illegitimate. In January of 2020, the Department of Justice formally backed up this position. So it is possible that President Biden and the executive agencies, as well as other individuals and groups, will argue that any subpoenas from the impeachment inquiry are invalid under the same standard. That is, that the impeachment inquiry was not opened with a vote of the House. We'll have to see what happens with these subpoenas. While it is both necessary and important that Congress investigate President Biden and the Biden family, it is also critical that Congress continues to focus on the other issues facing the nation, such as the economy, inflation, illegal immigration, crime, education, and others. Congress should have hearings on these matters, pass legislation if necessary, and then communicate the results of these efforts to the American people. These issues are important not only because they affect the lives of Americans, but also because these matters will be central to the 2024 election. Moving to the second Republican presidential debate, I want to make a few points. First, I'm amazed that none of the Republicans brought up the investigations into the Biden family. That is, the two special counsel investigations, as well as the House investigation. The candidates did not even bring up the impeachment inquiry, and the first hearing of the impeachment inquiry was the day after the debate. Republican candidates did not bring up these investigations in the first presidential debate either. So for a total of four hours of debates, the Republican candidates did not bring up any investigations into President Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, or the Biden family. That is completely unacceptable for Republican candidates running for president. 
they must attack the individual who is the presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party for the 2024 election. Second, and on a similar topic, Republicans hardly discussed the failures of the Biden administration. Republicans need to mention the failures of the Biden administration on both domestic and foreign policies. They must use the opportunity of the debates to educate the public which is watching. It is also important for Republican voters to see which candidates can attack the Biden administration and to see how well they are able to do so. If candidates are not able or are unwilling to attack President Biden, they should not be the nominee. And lastly, during these Republican presidential debates, Republican candidates need to stop interrupting each other and talking over one another. These interruptions prevent viewers from hearing the candidate's statements. It is likely that viewers get so frustrated that they either turn off the debate or don't begin watching it at all. More importantly, the candidate's lack of decorum looks badly upon the party as a whole. Candidate moderators could prevent this situation by asking the same question to all of the candidates. Because in the current situation, candidates interrupt because they know that they may not be given an opportunity to speak on the topic. For example, if one candidate gets a question on the economy, which is the most important issue to voters, the other candidates want to be able to speak on this topic as well. So they're going to interrupt and fight each other to get their words in. If they are guaranteed time to respond, they likely would not interrupt. Another reason for making sure that candidates answer the same questions is that some candidates have different levels of knowledge on certain issues and they should be allowed to share that expertise. For example, Governor Doug Burgum was not allowed to speak on issues of technology or energy. Governor Burgum has created a technology company and he is governor of a state which produces energy, North Dakota. So he should have been allowed to speak on these issues. To hear more discussion on the debates, please go to episode 70 entitled The First Republican Presidential Debate. While this podcast focuses on the first debate, the thoughts presented apply to the second debate as well. Unfortunately, the Republican candidates did not learn from their missteps in the first debate. Let's hope that Republican candidates do better in the third debate and that the networks and moderators running the next debate create an environment more suitable for discussion. As I close the podcast, I want to talk about a new segment on advancing the agenda, which is listener questions. I want to make my podcast to be more conversational, sort of like a talk radio program. So I want listeners to have the opportunity to ask questions, and I will answer them at the end of each podcast. Listeners can ask questions in their own voice, which I'll play on the podcast, or listeners can merely send the text of their questions. There are two ways to submit messages for both voice and text. I'll go through the instructions now, but also have them in the episode details of the podcast. For voice, the first method is to click the voice memo button on the Advancing the Agenda podcast page on the Spotify app for mobile devices or via the show's Spotify webpage. Or you can email me an audio file to my email at michael at michaelbabramson.com. If you want to send me a print version of your question, you can do so via the show's podcast page 
on the app or the Spotify website. Or you can email me your question at michael at michaelbabramson.com. I'm really excited about this new feature, and I think it's going to add a lot to the podcast. I look forward to speaking with everyone next time on Advancing the Agenda.